One more time, if you'll open up your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll try to close out tonight. We've been on this the entire year on Sunday night, and we want to get to chapter 16, spend some time talking about some of the final thoughts that the Apostle Paul has as he writes this passage or this book before he lays down the pen of inspiration from this particular letter. Before we get started into our lesson tonight, if you were here this morning, you know that we had some sheets that are back on the table in the foyer. It's titled simply Sunday Night Sermons 2019, and there are a list of about 40 questions on there, and I ask you to look at the number and uh, look at the questions and write the number of that question, five of them at least, that, uh, that you would like for us to study this uh, coming year. And uh, we have several who have turned those in already. Uh, I know a lot more have brought those back tonight. But if you have not received one of those, they are on the table in the foyer. And please pick one of those up and look over that and get that back as quickly as you can so that we can try to work up the lessons, uh, the, the schedule of lessons that we'll be studying for 2019. Now... Uh, you get to put some input in it, and one of the things I intended to say this morning, I, I failed to do that. If you have a question that you would like to add, uh, one that's not on the list, feel free to write that on. And I know some of you did. You asked me about that as you came out. But uh, if you have one that you would like to add, please do that, and we'll try to make accommodations for that sometime during the year, perhaps even adding it to another lesson uh, where it might fit, or something of that nature. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Again, the Apostle Paul has some final thoughts that he needs to talk about before he lays down the pen of inspiration. As we think about the things that he says, one of the things that he has to talk about is the collection for the saints. Now, I want you to notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 1, or 1 through 4, actually where he deals with that, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints as a directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. As we look at that passage, I want you to notice the beginning of it. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints. If you remember, as we've studied through the book of 1 Corinthians, you note that uh, Paul would occasionally address something evidently that they had asked about. And this seems to be one of those things that they have asked about. If you go back to chapter 7 at verse number 1, he writes about that, he deals with that, but every once in a while he'll talk about now concerning this or that or the other. And so this is another one of those things that as he's closing out the letter he, he deals with, it may have been that they were asking about this particular topic because of the collection that they were doing for the, um, the, the saints, the poor saints in Jerusalem. And as you notice this, he, he says that, that I am giving you these instructions. Now concerning these, this uh, particular um, topic, I, I am giving you these instructions. Note also that the instructions that he's giving them is the same instructions that he had given the churches of Galatia. If you notice in verse number 1, 
I told them, you know, we can put that, change that up a little bit. I told them basically the same thing that I have told you. Isn't that the way it is in, uh, in Scripture? God, God would tell one church to do something somewhere, and He would also tell other congregations. Matter of fact, all congregations, we have the unity of the faith that we are to maintain that He would write about in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. And so as we look at it, we think about it, the, the churches at Galatia were not to do something that the church at, at Corinth was, was uh, uh, not going to do. They had all received the same instructions. And so those instructions that were given then are also our instructions for today. And of course we find that, that this particular collection had a purpose behind it, but as we know, God has always required His people to be givers. Back in the Old Testament, God required the, the people to support uh, uh, His work, His workers. Uh, when it comes to the, uh, the Mosaic dispensation, the, the priest and so forth, and God requires that in the New Testament as well. And so we have that instruction. I want you to notice a couple of other things. We're not going to spend time, we can't deal with every individual thought that's to be found in it tonight. It's much like the rest of the book of, Galat or of uh, 1 Corinthians. We have left a lot on the table in regard to a lot of the chapters. But as we think about another topic that is to be uh, discussed... Notice that he said this collection was to be made <clears throat> upon the first day of the week. If you're looking at the English Standard that we have translated on the screen, the, that's the translation that we've been using, I want you to notice that there is a word that you might not find in the King James, however it is in the original. The word every is put into the English Standard, it's put into some of the other translations, reliable uh, translations as well. But we understand that that collection, the collection that he's talking about, was to be made every first day of the week. And as we look at that, as we think about it, that word collection itself is an interesting word. That word is used one time in the New Testament. It's found right here. And it is a word that sort of has to do with the concept, the idea of giving to the gods. Uh, the, the Corinthians had been pagans before they became Christians, many of them, and they would have understood the concept, but as we look at it here, we're giving back to God, but there was a purpose in uh, that, those first collections that were to be made. And that was to be passed on to the poor saints at Jerusalem who were undergoing a, a famine or a persecution or perhaps even, even both. Uh, a lot of things, again, that, that we could talk about in regard to that collecting. That collecting not only is to be done on the first day of the week, but it would seem that that would teach us about, uh, about the assemblies of the saints. In the book of Acts chapter 20 at verse number 7, we have another passage that deals with the assembly of the, the saints. In Acts chapter 20 at verse number 7, the Apostle Paul, who writes this particular passage, talks about uh, meeting with the saints. And, and let's go back over there just for the sake of, uh, of understanding tonight. Paul says, beginning at verse number 7, On the first day of the week, 
when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart with them the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Paul says there was a purpose that they came together, that the saints met together back here in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, did he not? He said the purpose for them gathering up was to do what? To break bread. And it's here that we have what's sometimes known in language as a synecdoche, taking a part used for the whole. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. And so they met on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper. But how many first days of the week did they meet? How many first days of the week did they meet to partake of the Lord's Supper? You ask uh, somebody in a denomination today and they may say, well... They probably only met a couple of times a year, maybe at Easter and and, and Christmas, and they partook of the Lord's Supper. Well, good friends, they met on as many first days of the week as they took up collections, and they were to take up a collection every first day of the week. Now, let's go backwards. If they were to take the collection every first day of the week, and they met on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper... How many first days of the week did they meet to partake of the Lord's Supper? As many as they met for collection every first day of the week. And again, that's sort of short in talking about that, but as we look at it, as we come to understand it, everybody understands. You ask any any denomination out in the world... Uh, how many day? How many first days of the week are they to partake? Of, are they to take up the Lord's Supper? And they're going. I mean, are they to take up a collection? And every one of them is going to tell you, every one, every first day of the week. And yet, they would forget about one of the main parts of our worship. We can't do that. We come together to remember the Lord, His sacrifice for us, His death, His burial, and His resurrection until He comes again. Again, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, a couple of other things quickly before we move on. The collection that was to be made was to be a corporate collection, if you will. Uh, It was to be one that was given when they were gathered together. Wouldn't make sense uh, for them to just store it up at home, because if they did, what, they'd still have to have a collecting together when Paul got there, and that's what Paul tells them that they don't need to have to do. And so this was a church assembly. We can look at that. We can understand, come to understand that. Uh, Not only that, it was to be done by all. Each of you is to do that, he said. Uh, Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Each of you. We all have the obligation to worship God in our giving on the first day of the week. And it is a worship of God uh, as we think about the New Testament acts of worship. It's not just a, a giving to the elders or not just a giving necessarily to the work of the church. It is an act of worship when we come together before our God. But then not only that, I want you to notice at least one other thing. Uh, Notice how much. As he may prosper. You notice he doesn't set an amount. 
In the Old Testament, the amount was, they were to give, the starting point was 10%. Uh, when he all totaled it all up, it added up to a whole lot more than 10%, what they were to give of what they, what they had. But as you look at it, he said in the New Testament, we are to give in accordance with our prospering. It would be a great study tonight. We don't have time to do it. But to go to a passage that we noted in our sermon this morning, 2, Peter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, where Paul writes about the grace that God was giving them. And I mentioned very briefly in our lesson this morning that uh, the God of providence, by His grace, gives to us so that we can give back to Him. The old preachers used to say it in this way, that uh, God, God shovels it in to us, and the more He shovels in to us, we shovel it back. And somebody may think, well, what if I run out? And the old preachers used to say, well, God shovels bigger. We never will be able to outgive His grace. And yet, as we look at it, He says here that we are to give as we have prospered. I wonder sometimes if we don't prosper because we're stingy in our shoveling back to God. So there's a lot of thoughts that are there, a lot of things that we could talk about. But Paul says, I need to address this matter. I need to address this matter. Paul also, uh, I keep saying uh, one last thing, but one last thing on this. Paul says that if it was necessary, he would accompany them, and that's exactly what he did according to the book of Acts chapter 24 at verse number 17. But let's move on to another thing that Paul needs to deal with in his final thoughts to the, to the church at Corinth. He, he has some final thoughts concerning his future visit to the church at Corinth, to the brothers and sisters in Christ who were there. And we read those things in verses 5 through 9. Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries that are there. Now, originally, Paul had planned to visit them, then go to Macedonia, and then back to Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Uh, he, he, he makes it clear that he wanted them there in that passage to have time to set their house in order. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 1, he said, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. But then he changed his mind and didn't want to pay them just a passing visit according to verse number 7 that we have here. His new itinerary, as we look at it, was to stay at Ephesus, what we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, was to stay at, at Ephesus, if you will, uh, until Pentecost, which would be late May or June of the year, and then on to Macedonia, uh, as he uh, made his way to the church at Corinth, and uh, spend the summer months there, and then back to Corinth to spend the winter months. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn over to the book of Acts chapter 20. 
Look at verse uh, 2 and 3. He said, And when he had gone through these regions and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. That's the uh, English Standard translation of it. He came to Greece. Well, where's Greece? Well, Greece is Corinth. He came to Greece. There he spent three months. According to the book of Acts chapter 20 at verse number 3. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so we know that he spent three months with the church there. He didn't, didn't want just a passing visit. He wanted to be there with them, spend some time with them. We notice here also from verse number 9 that Paul's work in Ephesus, he tells them something about what's going on in his other work. Uh, his work in Ephesus is both prosperous and challenging. That's the way we might think of it. Notice that he said a wide and effective door is open. He said, I'm accomplishing a lot. There are many souls who are hearing the gospel and obeying the gospel. But there are also, he says, many adversaries who are there. Paul was always in danger of, of somebody, especially the Jews, was he not? They were hot on his heels everywhere he went. And they did not let up. They, they were constantly after him. Even when Paul went down to Rome, uh, having appealed to Caesar, who showed up there? Well, the Jews. And so as we look at it, it seems that they probably had some hands on the work. Uh, the adversaries there, they stirred people up and had things, uh, um, you know, trying to, trying to do the devil's work, if you will, in keeping people from hearing the gospel. So he just spends a few minutes, a few sentences there, if you will, dealing with his work, what he's going to do, in particular in coming to visit them. Now, one, let me, let me just address one other thing. Remember, we noted out of 2 Corinthians, just briefly mentioned it, that he wanted them to have time, according to Second uh, Corinthians chapter two, at verse number one, to get their house in order. There were a lot of things they needed to get in order, were there not? All we need to do is just read First Corinthians. We read they had problems throughout, didn't they? Now they weren't totally uh, uh, forsaking God. Now, they hadn't kicked him out of Corinth. But they had a lot of things within the church that they needed to get right. Everything from the division that we read about in chapter 1 to the great sin that uh, we read about in chapter 5 to the uh, suing one another, chapter 6 to the, uh, to the taking one another to court, chapter 7, on and on, or uh, reverse those, uh, on and on and on we go. The arguments they had over over uh, the spiritual gifts that we addressed in chapters 12, 13, and 14, you know, we, know the, we know that it was a troubled church. Paul was giving them time to, to get their house in order. Let's move on. Paul says, I have a few final thoughts concerning Timothy and Apollos. These two co-workers of Paul, he's going to address that in verses 10 through 12. He says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him 
at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. These two brothers, these two co-workers, if you will, of, of the apostle, he says, I need, to, I need to remind you of some things. I need to talk to you about some things in regard to them. Notice number one, he talks about Timothy, and he makes it clear that they were to treat Timothy well because he was doing the same work as the apostle Paul. They were to treat him well. When we look at what he says here that uh, uh, they were to... Uh, uh, not only put him at ease, but to help him on his way uh, in peace. That's, uh, that, that's a phrase which has the, carries the idea behind it that, that in helping him on his way, as we talked about in uh, the book of Second John, um, that uh, it meant that they were to support, they were to help, as it were, in even a financial way or providing food and, uh, and travel expenses and things of that nature as they, as they could. They were, they were to do that. But there's one thing that, that really jumps out at me right here. Not only does he tell them that they were to put him at ease and help him on his way, but Look at verse number 11. Verse number 11. If you, if you are mindful of some other passages in the, in the Scriptures, and especially as Paul writes to Timothy, it ought to jump out at you as well. He says, So let no one despise him. Do you remember what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4? At verse number 12, Paul wrote to Timothy and tells Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth. Now, when Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, that's written some nine years after Paul writes to first, uh, the church at Corinth. Let no one despise you. Tells the church at Corinth, don't despise Timothy. Timothy was nine years younger when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth than he was when he wrote to Timothy himself. Why would the church at Corinth be tempted to despise Timothy? Or as he writes to Timothy, to despise Timothy because of his Youth. We have to remember the Greek culture. The Greeks and the Corinthians prided themselves on one of the topics that he addresses early on in the book. They prided themselves on wisdom. And young men, in their mind, were not supposed to have true wisdom and so here's this young man coming in here, teaching them the gospel. They would have been tempted not to listen to him because he's just a young man. 
Well, that's what, I'm not sure they would have said it that way. That's the way we say it here in the South, isn't it? He's just a youngin'. He doesn't know anything. He can't tell us. He can't talk about marriage. He can't talk about raising kids. He can't talk about this. He can't talk about that. He's just up there running his mouth. Why should I listen to him? Because Timothy wasn't giving them his wisdom. Timothy, like Paul, was delivering the wisdom of Almighty God. The creator of the universe, as we talked about this morning, the transcendent one who is so far separated and above us that we can't even begin to grasp him. So he's delivering that message. Now I've heard young preachers, idyllic, they come out of preaching school and they're going to solve every problem and soon they learn that's not the way things work. They're going to get it all done in about two weeks and then they'll be able to, you know, take the rest of the time off as far as working for the Lord. And that doesn't work that way. Congregations like Corinth get themselves into deep trouble over a period of time. But as we look at it, whoever is standing before us, when they're speaking from this book, when they're giving these words, every one of us is obligated to listen. And so, as we look at it, Paul reminds the church at Corinth, don't despise this young man. Don't despise him. Now let's go from Timothy to Apollos. Apollos was a man... Evidently greatly loved by, by the Corinthians, right? If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse number 12, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Christ. That's, those were some of the divisions that had been taking place within the church. They had, they had uh, split themselves up into followers of these different uh, teachers that they had had. Apollos was greatly loved by some of the Corinthians. We understand that. We also understand that as we look at this passage that Paul tried to get him to go down and visit the Corinthians. As a matter of fact, I want you to notice what Paul himself writes. Paul says, English Standard Translation, I strongly urged him to come visit. Paul didn't just in passing say, hey, Apollos, why don't you run down and see the church at Corinth, check on them, talk to them, see how they're doing, maybe help them work through some of the problems. As we would think of it, as we would say it, Paul did his best to get Apollos to come down and visit them. Now, what does that tell us about Apollos? Apollos had a mind of his own. Uh, he was not directed at all by the apostle. He wasn't working for Paul. Not only did Apollos have a mind of his own, Apollos had a work of his own in the Lord. And so he had other things that he needed to take care of, it seems. 
And he decides he can't go. He can't turn loose at this time and go down and visit with the church at Corinth. But when he had the opportunity, he said, I'll go. He wasn't neglecting them. I'm not, not saying, and Paul doesn't seem to be indicating that he was neglecting them. He didn't like them. He didn't want to see them. But it seems to be that he had other things that he needed to attend to. And so sometimes we can't always do exactly what, what we think we should do or could do at the exact time that other folks, even an apostle like Paul, on the time schedule that they work on. And so we simply need to, need to be mindful of that. Paul doesn't disparage Apollos in any way. He just reports as to what actually is going on, not only with Timothy, but also with Apollos. But then moving on, there's another topic that he needs to talk to them about in the, in, in the last part, in, in his closing thoughts. Uh, he uh, needs, talks to them concerning the behavior of, of the Corinthians themselves. He has some things that he really needs to deal with in regard to them. Now that's found in verses 13 through 18, but look particularly at verses 13 and 14 to begin with. Paul says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. I don't know if you counted them as we were reading them there, but there are five things, five exhortations that Paul makes to the church in these two verses. Notice what he says. Be watchful. That's a military term that he uses there describing the heavy responsibility that one would have when he's on guard duty. You know, you hear about those who are on guard duty, if they go to sleep, you know, the, there's uh, some, uh, some, some consequences, if you will. Paul tells them to be watchful. Uh, to be watchful is to stay awake, keep awake, be vigilant, be prepared. Now, we're to watch for the primary enemy, aren't we? Uh, we read about that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Paul said, or rather Peter said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we're to watch for the, for the primary enemy. But you know what? It's not just the enemy that we are to be watchful for. We're to be watchful, alert for opportunities to help others and to further the cause of Christ. We're watchful for those things. You see, we're not always on the defense. As Christians, we're sometimes to be on the offense. We are to, uh, to be going. Not only does he tell them to be watchful, but notice what he says. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. The faith, dealing with the, the, the gospel, uh, the New Testament, as it were. Now, in Acts chapter 6, at verse number 7, Paul writes and says, And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
The faith is not just something you have in your head. It's something that you can obey. The faith is also something that can be preached. Notice Galatians chapter 1 at verse 23. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith which once he destroyed. Well, what did Paul preach? Well, Paul preached the gospel. If you notice in that same passage in Galatians chapter number 1. In the book of Philippians chapter 1 at verse number 27, they were to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Again, gospel and faith being tied together. And as we studied this past Wednesday night in our Bible class here in the auditorium, Jude writes for and appeals to the to the brethren to whom he writes to, to contend for the faith. And so as we look at it, they were to stand fast in the gospel, the great body of truth that comprises the faith. Number three, act like men. Act like men. Be manly, be mature in conduct. You know, Christians can't be cowards, can we? We've got to stand firm, just like he said, in the faith, but we've got to act like men. But you know what? I think Paul has a particular thing in mind here. He's telling them to quit acting like children. Now, it hasn't been many words before, back in chapter 14, that he actually said that. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. You see, he already told them one time, act like grown-ups. Folks, they hadn't been acting like grown-ups. They had been acting like a bunch of little spoiled kids. And Paul says, act like men. Next, Paul not only tells them that, but he says, be strong. Be spiritually strong. That's what he has in mind. Spiritual strength can be increased throughout our, our lives as a Christian. We continue to grow in, in strength in our faith. Uh, it requires food, exercise, and time, just like growing up in the physical sense requires as well. And then finally, he, in these five exhortations, says, Let all that you do be done in love. Now, had he not addressed that already in an entire chapter? Chapter 13. But he reminds them here at this, this juncture, in these five exhortations that he makes in these two verses, the last thing that he says is to do what you do, do things in love. You know, we can and should and must even speak the truth in love, as he would write to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4 at verse number 15. But still, concerning the conduct of, of the Corinthians, he says, I need you to do these five things, but he also needs to address the household of Stephanus as well. That's verses 15 through 18. 
Paul says, now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, uh, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Paul says, I need, you, I need to remind you about these folks. They have devoted their lives to the service of the saints. Depending upon which translation you're reading from, you may be reading from the King James, which says they had addicted themselves to the ministry. And Paul, Paul reminds them about that. He, he talks about how that they had helped him, they had refreshed him uh, as representatives, if you will, of, uh, of the church at Corinth. The Corinthians were to submit to those who were older in the faith, to listen to them, to imitate them. And Stephanus and Fortunatus, uh, uh, Fortunatus and, and Achaicus. They may well uh, have been the ones to whom that the rest of the congregation uh, could pattern their lives. And then the last topic that Paul takes up before he lays down his pen of inspiration, as we say, he said, I need to talk to you concerning some greetings. Look at verses 19 through 24. He said, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Quill and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you a hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Notice that as Paul closes out, he wants to remind and encourage the brothers and sisters, the Christians at Corinth, that they were not alone. They had others who knew them and who cared for them. And he named some of them, other congregations of, of the Lord's people. Notice two names there in uh, verse number 19, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, they're mentioned in the book of Acts, aren't they? Uh, they, they are faithful workers. They had the same, had the same uh, secular job, if you will, as Paul. They were tent makers. And yet they themselves were workers not only in a physical sense, they were workers in the church. Notice there was a congregation that even met in their house. Paul had stayed with them, we know from the book of Acts, yet they have another congregation that's working with them. And notice what he says, the way he says it in which translated in English, they send you hearty greetings. You know, they're, they're sending you this big hello not just a hello, but they're, they're wanting you to know they're in your corner. They, wanting, they want you to know that they want you to be faithful. They want you to know that they love you in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. 
I don't know which all he's talking about. Very likely everywhere that Paul went, he talked about the other congregations that were a part of the family of God. And so he, he talks to them and uh, may have been the church at Philippi, Macedonia, and, and Ephesus, and others. All the brothers send you greetings. Then he says to them, they're to greet each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Again, he's reminding them of the closeness that they are to share. But then look at verse 21. <clears throat> Paul says, I write this greeting with my own hand. You know, it wasn't... Paul uh, seems usually use some other person to write down the physical writing as he dictated it. But now as he's come to the end of this, Paul, it seems, is saying something to this effect. I'm signing this letter myself. I'm signing it. I'm writing these words in with my own hand because they're coming from my own heart. They're, they're, coming, they're coming from me. Gives a warning then, doesn't he? If anyone has no love for the Lord, y'all just go to him and hug him and let him everything be okay. Well, that's not exactly what he said. Let him be accursed. O oh Lord, come. As you look at that, it's sad that there may have been some in the church at Corinth who had become so contaminated by the problems, still paganism tugging at them, pulling them backwards, that they turned themselves aside from the Lord. They stopped following Him. They stopped loving Him. I believe with all my heart that Paul wanted them saved, just like the Lord. But I'm pretty certain by inspiration that Paul knew that some never would return. And as he looks at them, he's mindful of them and of the damage that they could do to others. He says to let the Lord do his thing with them, allow them to face the judgment that they will face from Him. Those are some sad words, folks. Sad, sad words. But then He turns and says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And then He sends them His love. His love for them in the Lord. As we come to the end of this book, I've already stated tonight, we left a lot in the book that we didn't, that we didn't talk about. 
So I hope that as you've gone through the year, you've studied through it at home, learned even more. But I hope as we close this lesson tonight that that we learn the, the lesson that the great apostle teaches them. Twice here in this last closing section, he asks them, tells them to greet each other with a holy kiss. And then he himself shares his love for all of them in the Lord. It may be that we sometimes need to learn that lesson. To share our love, to show our love, and to speak our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Even more than possibly we do. Not saying that we don't. But we need to take it seriously. I think Paul was. I think in writing of inspiration, God does. Because Paul, even into his last words, is writing things that come to him from the Lord. We need to take that part seriously as well. And then one, one final thought. Notice that he says... My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. If you've never been baptized, you've never been baptized into Christ Jesus. And you need to do that. If you need to learn more, we'd love to study with you. If you know that what baptism is all about, we would love to assist you with it. Maybe tonight there's something in your life as a Christian that needs to be made right in a public way. Certainly these, these brothers and sisters at Corinth had a lot of things they needed to work on. They were imperfect. But Paul encouraged them all the way through to get their lives right. And that's what we're doing as well as we close our lesson. So if there's anyone here tonight who needs to respond to the invitation of the Lord, why don't you come right now as we stand, as we sing.